Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. So we are um, this morning going to unpack our fourth, um, and I believe our final message of the public place um, that has been coming from this idea of the theology of place, which is, again, not something you will find that you would say, ooh, where's that found? Um, but it's, it's one of these things where we've just been talking about um, three main places that God wants us to, to, to gather. Um, um, the seek, well, he wants us to gather in the secret place. He wants to gather in the gathering place, which is the church. And then he wants us to gather in the public place as well. And all of those are just so that we can minister unto God and then minister to people as well. And so it's vital for us to just get a, get a heartbeat of that. And that's all part of our theme for this year, which has been a heart for the house and hands for the harvest. And uh, we just are, are believing that as we begin to take these three principles, these three gathering places um, seriously and begin to really allow it to begin to speak to our hearts and then put, put some things in our life that would be building blocks or whatever you want to call it to, to be committed to it, that really then we can fulfill what the Lord has placed in our heart um, as far as you know, a, a, hand, a heart, heart for the house and hand, hands for the harvest. And so uh, let me give you the public, uh, our public place definition we've been working off of, and that is the public place is the spaces and places where God calls believers to live purposely for the goal of witnessing to unbelievers and to those who have even backslidden, right, with the good news of Jesus. And so if you've missed um, any of these, please go to the podcast and take a listen to that. And so our title today is The Ecclesia, God's Collective Witness. The Ecclesia, God's collective witness. And uh, let me just pray over our message real quick. Holy Spirit, help all of us to understand this and get a revelation of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So now, hopefully you remember what the Ecclesia is, okay? And the Ecclesia, um, it means called out, a called out assembly of people. And in, when Jesus uses the word, he means it's a body of believers who has been called out, called forth, separated, and assembled for God's, to be God's representatives, okay? To be God's representatives in every town, every city, every state, and in every nation. We are called out from the world to be his people, and then you would tie that with the word collective, which means a unified body or family. So when we put the two together, it gives us this meaning. Being a witness is not something I only do by myself. It's something I do collectively with my church family. Okay, again, it's not something I only do by myself. You can do it by yourself, okay? I just want you to know that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is your family, the church family as a whole, the ecclesia as a whole, should be on mission together to be able to go and witness in the public place, to be able to go and talk to people about Jesus, begin to love people, begin to pray for people, begin to do all of these things that, that we are hopefully taught 
within, within the church body, within in our, 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 our time together. And it's, it's practically applying those things in the public place so that people are being impacted. And the local church is essential in fulfilling the Great Commission. And here's the reason why. Because it becomes a spiritual home, a family, a place of, um, of becoming a disciple uh, for those who are brought into the kingdom. So as we reach people, we invite people, people then can come in and then be discipled so then they can turn around and do the exact same thing, is to you know, begin to talk to people and, and pray for people and, and possibly the opportunity. Like, you know, and we know this, the kingdom of God works like a farm, and so sometimes it's just about planting seed, planting seed into people's lives and saying, hey, you know what, I'm praying for you. Hey, um, you know, whatever that is, whatever God lays on your heart to talk to, to people about. But see, it's this, this planting, but it's, it's recognizing that, you know what, from that planting, then you know what, at some point, Let's believe God that these people will give their hearts to Jesus. I mean, how, how, how? It shouldn't be radical faith for us to believe that when we talk to someone, that they're going to receive the Lord at some point. It should be something to where we're just, hey, no, I'm in faith. I mean, I planted seed, I might be watering, I might be doing whatever it is. But sometimes I think people, we, we get to a point where, man, man let's take radical faith. No, it doesn't, it shouldn't. It should be just very practical, everyday faith that we're walking this out. And so what happens is then with the church, then we combine these two elements to go and to make disciples, and the church, right, not you and I, not, not this building, but you and I are play a huge part together in growing people. See, I think I mentioned this last week, but when we, we have opportunity to connect people to Jesus, we have opportunity to have them begin to, you know, maybe be sensitive or opened up a little more to the things of God, then you know what? We shouldn't just drop it and leave it. We should be people of faith that says, you know what? No, I, I, I want to help you. I want to grab you by the hand and help walk you through this. I want to be there for you. I want to help you be able to grow in your relationship with, 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 Lord, with the Lord. And it's just a, a byproduct of all of us as a church, right? Little C, big C, whatever, that we're just on mission to, to invite people. Right? We're, we're faithfully engaging this. And this is how the church is built. I mean, Jesus has this humongous heart for the building of his church. Why? Why do you think he does? Well, I think the short answer is this. His church is meant to be the greatest witness to the world of love and the reality of God. The church. Unfortunately, though, we have allowed the enemy sometimes to come in. I'm not saying here, but sometimes the enemy has come in and has distorted this view of the church. And so people say, nah, I'm not going to church, man. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of this. They're a bunch of that. There's no way I'm not doing it. See, and that, 
the enemy has come in. But see, we've got to get to a point where, you know, we're a people who walk in love. It doesn't matter what anyone looks like. It doesn't matter what, what, no, whatever people wear. It doesn't matter anything about them. It's all about a soul, right? And, and we have to get to a point where we're desperate to be able to see people in that perspective, I'm looking beyond all the stuff and I see a soul that is hungry and desperate for Jesus. They don't even know it, but I see it. See, that, that, that to me is where we got to get to a point where we begin to kind of visualize or, or see that as we walk in our spaces and places. Or it's not not the out, outward appearance. It's all about the inward, right? Remember they, they, about David, you know, oh, he's short, he's this, oh, man, he's the run of the family, da, 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 da. but what did it say? God said he looks at the, the, the heart. And, and as, as believers, we really need to do the same thing. We need to focus on the heart of the person. What's going on in the person? What is, what, what is that? Because sometimes that's where the root of whatever may be going on is really the case. And if you had the medicine, let's just say, or if you had the, 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 the thing to give to someone, wouldn't you want to give it to them to be able to help, help correct those things that are going on inside of them? So the church is meant to be the greatest witness to the world and, and, um, of the love and the reality of God. Now, I ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians because I, I just want us to read this real quick because this is a great example of what a church should look like in, the, in this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 and then we're going to jump to verses 6 through 8. But they're, they're such a great witness of the gospel of Christ. It says this, Paul... Uh, Sylvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in in God, the Father and the the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. I love that because you know what? Sometimes we just think, man, everything's supposed to be rainbows and lollipops, but it's not. It's, it, it, there are times that you're going to walk through a, a, affliction. You're going to find, man, I, man, I'm really struggling right now. But he says, in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. So, so it's possible then, when you're walking through affliction, to still have the joy of the Holy Spirit going on in your life. Where people are looking at you and go, hey, how can you be? Because I have this joy, this inner joy, because the Holy Spirit is a part of my life. He's working in me. Verse 7, so that you become examples to all in Macedonia and um, Asia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth. Now listen to this. From the church, the word of the Lord was sounded forth. Not from the pastor. It's community. It's a collaboration. It's all of us working together where the word of the Lord sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and, uh, I I know I'm saying this word wrong, Asia, whatever it is, 
but also in every place. Every place. Your faith toward God has gone out. Now listen, it didn't say stayed in, did it? Paul's not saying, hey, your faith stayed in. No, he says your faith has gone out, out into the highways and the byways. And hey, man, you see that church that says Thessalonica? Oh my gosh, man, they are just, just loving the Lord and serving the Lord and doing all these great things for the kingdom of God. Man, the word had gone out, man. There was something special about this church. And he says here, that faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Man, people knew about the church. Oh my gosh, just man, you guys are just amazing, awesome, right? So what an example of the ecclesia, right? The people in Thessalonica lived. They lived it out. They were such exemplary standard, um, exemplary lives. They set the standard for those all around them. Can, can, can you imagine, just, this is just hypothetical throwing it out, but hey, who knows, maybe God will do this. But could you imagine if people from Fort Mill and from Rock Hill and from Lancaster and from Chester and uh, maybe we can spread it out a little more, would go, that church at Catawba, man, there is, so you guys have gone out and you have done what God has asked you to do. Man, you guys are just, oh my gosh, we're just pumped about what God's doing. Even to the point where we might come and visit just to check it out. Can you imagine if that was the case? But see, it didn't happen just because of the senior leader. It happened because the people grabbed a hold of a vision, an understanding that, you know what? We need to go out beyond ourselves. We need to begin to minister to others outside, not keeping it inside. And, And... Man, wouldn't that be amazing? And so we have to understand that, you know, we've got to be able to share, right, our, our experiences and our relationship with those people outside, right, in our, our spaces and places, just about what Jesus is doing. It's the faith going out instead of staying in. And so if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is going to be our main, main text for the day. Matthew chapter 16 says this. It's in verses 13 through 18. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon uh, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now let's go back to verse 13 for a second. And I'm going to say that here Jesus is, he's, he's asking the half a million dollar question. Okay, not the full million, but a half a million dollar question by saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Now, he's not asking out of insecurity, 
right? He's not asking so that he can get people's approval. He's not asking because he's got all this stuff and he just was unsure. But there was a buzz that was going on about who Jesus was, right? This buzz, I guess you could say, on the street, just about, oh my gosh, have you heard of Jesus? Jesus, 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 you know, it's all over. And some loved him. Some were kind of like, ah, I'm not too sure about him yet. They're intrigued by him, but not sure. And then there was a certain group who just hated him. And so Jesus is kind of, I I believe, kind of leading up to the million-dollar question, the big one. But But in verse 14, the disciples answered him. So they said, some say John the Baptist, but the problem with that is John had already been dead for a month, right? He got it chopped off. Then some say Elijah and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, these are the Old Testament guys. So we're not talking about, you know, or suggesting that reincarnation was going on. But the point they were making is that there was a lot of rumors floating around out there And people all agreed that you are God. But after that, it's anybody's guess. What's going on here? There's something different about you. And then Jesus gets to the million-dollar question. And, And this question matters more than any other question in the Bible or any other question you may have. Because, you know, there are some good questions to have. But, you know, we have sometimes we have those questions... If God is so loving, you know, why are there starving people in the world? Right? Or how could God let bad things happen to good people who love him? Those are all great questions, and they are valid. They need to be answered. But nothing compares to the greatest of questions, the million-dollar question. Because this one question matters most in anybody's heart, anybody's life. And here it is. He said, this is Jesus in uh, verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, I love the message version. It said, he pressed them. I just like that, that, that thought. Like, hey, like, can you, man, how would you have done with Jesus staring you right in the eyes? Like, like just piercing right through you. Who do you say I am? Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? It would be like, ah, la, la, la. I wouldn't even know it. It would be probably stumbling out of me because of that. But it says, he pressed them. And how about you? Who do you say I am? I mean, that, wow, what a, what a question. But it's a question that sets the stage uh, for a significant, significant watershed moment, right, in history. Plus, you know what? I think, too, it's, it's, it's a question that he's still asking of us and others today. I mean, even 2,000 years later, I think he still is asking that because every time we get up in the morning, not that he he addresses that with us, but I think there should be a sense, who am I going to say that Jesus is to me today in my life? Am I going to live for him fully? Am I going to live in righteousness and purity or am I going to, ah, you know, just kind of skate around on the edges and just kind of, you know, in and out? And so I think in some ways he, he kind of, you know, says that. And I, and I can imagine, too, that at, that at that moment, 
like a heavenly hush when, when all around heaven, angels pressed in, camera pans, what are they going to say? And then who speaks up, of course? Our favorite guy, Peter, right? So in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Man, Peter nailed it, didn't he? He nailed that thing. He just, boom. But can you imagine in the moment of that setting, I'm sure the other disciples probably were like looking at each other like, where did he get that from? Where did that come from? How did he, what? How did, I don't get it. I mean, yeah, we've all been with Jesus, but all of us were kind of like still wondering, when's he gonna, when's he gonna do what he's supposed to do? When's he gonna be with the promise that said that he'd come and take over and all those things? Well, and then Peter said that. You know, sometimes I, I'm married, so sometimes, you know, it's your wife gives you that look like, like what? <laughs> you know, I could just imagine them doing that, right? And then also, I mean, you <laughs> it's just so mind-boggling because I, you know. I'm sure Peter was like, where did that come from? I, I don't know where that came from, but I know that it's true. I mean, I'm just convinced that it's true. I don't even know where that came from, but I know, I know, my, my knower knows. Right? You ever have that before where you just knower knows? Right? Your knower knows that, man, he is the one, the Christ, the son of the living God. So then Jesus explains to Peter, how he knows this. And Jesus answered and said to him, this is in verse 17. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now the Greek word revealed means to take the cover off of something or to pull back the curtain in order to disclose or unveil something. Now I'm going to date myself here and some of you will probably go like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But I don't know if you've ever um, remember, um, um, oh, now I totally forgot, uh, Monty Hall and what's behind the curtain, right? Where you had to guess and say, well, I'll take the curtain or I'll take this or whatever it is. Um, let's make a deal. That's what it was, okay? And so, you know, the person had to choose. And then when they chose behind the, the curtain, they would pull back the curtain. Well, the same principle here is the fact that, you know what, God begins to open up the curtain, open up our hearts, open up our minds to be able to begin to see who God is, who, who Jesus is. And then along with that, so it's unveiling something. And then along with that, it carries an idea of, of moving out of something in order to step into something else. So this revealed revelation that pulled back the curtain so that Peter could see, gave him the ability to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And, 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 and this revealing, it, it pulls back the curtain to help us so that we can step out of any darkened areas of our any darkened area. I, 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 all of us in some way, probably shape or form, I mean, we're not Jesus. So there probably are some dark areas somewhere. 
Sometimes you might even have to ask the Lord to show it to you. But there's dark areas. But see, this revelation of who Jesus is helps you then to step out of those darkened areas for you to be able to live in victory, for you to be able to live in freedom from it. And so this curtain is pulled back. But see, I think what it does then, it it helps us to understand. We step into this realization and, and confirmation that God has so much more for us. You know, and even if we're, we, we, at the moment, don't see the answer. Because sometimes when you are witnessing the people and you're trying to explain that Jesus really is the answer to all their situations, they d- don't necessarily see that. Right? Because he's not the genie in the bottle where you rub it and boom, oh, how many wishes do you want? You want out of that? Okay, great. No, that's, that's not... You know, that's not him. But what it is is the fact that, you know what? Jesus comes into our life and then he begins to work with you so that then you begin to be delivered from those things where freedom begins to happen. Now, sometimes he can do it just like that. Praise God for those moments. But most of the time, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's a process that we have to work through. But see, when we have this revelation, though, that we begin to understand, we begin to realize, we begin to recognize, even in the midst of things not changing in the moment, God is still true. His word is still true, right? I mean, we've never seen God, yet we believe in God. We've never seen heaven, yet we believe we're going there. And so it's because of part of that revelation that, that the Holy Spirit's giving to us as we walk this out. And then Jesus said, you know, based on this revealing, he would build his church. And the church is meant to be a witness. So in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 18, he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Okay, now I'm going to date myself again. Uh, this is kind of a, a comb. Kodak moment. Remember Kodak? The little cameras, you know, whatever. Then you had to go to those little booths that were in the shopping mall and turn in your little round thing and then wait two weeks to get your pictures back. Okay, that, that's really dating me, but I, I totally remember that. So this is a Kodak moment going on. And, and here Jesus is now telling Simon, what you said was so right and so significant that I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm changing your name to Peter. Remember back first, it was Simon Barjona. But he's going to change his name to Peter, which is this Greek word Petros, meaning a small piece of a large rock. Then Jesus goes on to say, and on this rock, now this is the different meaning, this is Petra. Okay, we're going to go way back. Remember a band named Petra? Some of you? All right, good, man. Boy, we are going way back today, aren't we? All right? I, I don't know. I just hear the name Petra, and I think about that band, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. It was way, way back when. Anyways, um, but that means a, 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 a boulder, a bedrock, a foundation of stone. Or, you know, Ephesians 2.20 says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And he says, so on this rock, I will build my church upon that foundation stone, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So here Jesus isn't saying, I will build my church on Peter the individual. Because some people will get, have that thought 
that, oh, well, because he said that to Peter, therefore Peter is, you know, I don't know what you want. St. Peter, I guess. But it's not on the individual. Instead, it leads us to our very first point. Christ's church is built on the revelation of Jesus. Right? It's built on the revelation of Jesus. His ecclesia is built on the revealed, rock-solid, fundamental truth and confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And so, to me, this brings up a challenging question. Maybe not for you, but it does for me. So I'm going to ask you this question. How did you learn about Christ? How did you learn about Christ? Who taught you what you know about Jesus? Now, this, this is where the challenging part comes in. Has it only come from the many sermons you've heard? Or the Sunday school class maybe you attended? If so, that's great, okay? But have you ever considered that that might be the limit of what you know about Christ? Because you've just based it on that, right? We need more of Jesus than just mere head knowledge and what we've heard. But see, so many, and this is sad in in some ways, but so many believers are satisfied with the one-time revelation of Christ's saving power, his grace. That's good enough for me. I gave my heart to Jesus. I had a revelation. My heart opened up. The curtain pulled back. I recognize he's the son of God. But see, the problem is that is not enough if you're going to walk this Christian walk. Because revelation should be something that is continually happening in our lives over and over and over and over and over and over again. See, yes, we can say that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Lord and the Son of God, right? And, and, and people can experience that life-changing moment, that re- revelation. But the, the, sadly, they stop there because they don't realize that that first step, what lies ahead and if you, you are truly walking with him is a lifetime of deeper, more glorious revelation of who Christ is. Which, I'll give you an example, which I believe Paul knew. Because wouldn't you say with me that Paul had this glorious, incredible revelation of Christ when he was on the road to Damascus? Yeah, knocked him on the ground. Jesus was talking to him. He became blind. Man, what a revelation. Oh, my gosh. He's like, why are you kicking against me? Why are you doing all this? Uh, right? But here's the thing about it. When we go to Galatians chapter 1, he, he knew that that revelation that he had gotten of, of who Christ was was not going to be enough. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, it says, But I make known to you, brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. You hearing that? Because sometimes we put so much stock in listening to what, and I'm in the business, 
listening to what pastors say. He says, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you do a little bit of research, when Paul had that conversion, he gets the scales moved off his eyes. He, said, he preaches a little bit in Damascus. But then you know what happened? He went away for three years to Arabia. And in those three years, about, about three years, he was being taught by Jesus himself. Now you would say, wow, whoa, wait, 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 that's not in scripture. Okay? But, but just follow it along where he says, hey, Jesus taught me. Right? And I think a large part of that was probably, you know, it could have been directly, but most likely it was through the study of the word. Paul said, man, I got to go away and I got to look at the Torah. I got to be able to, to kind of navigate this better. I got to understand. Yeah, he had all this head knowledge. Right? He was up at the tribe of Benjamin. He had all this, this stuff. He had the head knowledge. But see, what he did is he took some time and he sat back and he said, okay. I need to know more. I need to have a deeper revelation of who you really are. So again, this kind of, again, brings another question in mind. Have you taken the time to be taught by Jesus in the secret place? Have you created that time? Have you sat quietly in his presence, waiting to hear his voice that you can't get from anyone or anywhere else? His voice is truly special. His voice will be, will be the thing that guides and directs you, more so than what man has to say. But see, his voice and his truth in partnership with the Holy Spirit gives us a deeper revelation of who he is. All that he has for us. It's not just salvation. There's so much more. But see, we don't know that if we don't spend time with him. If we won't open our ears to him. We won't sit in silence and say, what's that scripture talking about right now? What do you want me to know about that scripture? But see, we have to grow. We've got to grow. We've got to grow. But see, that, that, but see, when we are growing, each of us, and we're getting revelation from him, then that helps us collectively be a witness to those around us. Second point, the church is still being built. The church is still being built. Okay? As in, it's, it's an ongoing construction project, and you are, and I are part of the work and part of the building, right? So the church is still being built, praise God. But also in the process of that, you are part of that work in helping it grow. And see, the work started by Jesus when he left and he commanded his disciples to partner with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing building of his church through the Great Commission. That's part of his parting words. 
Mic drop, right? Hey, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And so it's us collectively going into that world, right? Preaching, winning the lost, and maturing them into disciples of Jesus. So this whole process then is a collective engagement of the whole body, the ecclesia, right? Now listen, working together to build upon our strengths and to build up and stretch us beyond our weaknesses. So there might be some of you in this house that are very, very strong and being able to just talk to people and, and tell them about Jesus and stuff like that. But then there might be some of us who are, who, man, that's that way out of my comfort zone. But see, that's when we as a collective group come together. I th- you know, and I'm not, this is just speculation, but I think that's why Jesus said, hey, go in twos. Right? Because there might be someone who, in that, in that grouping that maybe doesn't feel comfortable yet talking and doing whatever, but you got another person that does. But see, it helps. The church is supposed to collectively join together and say, okay, you know what? Let's, let's work together. I'm gonna, I, I'll, I'll work on my strength. I'll, I'll work on my weaknesses. You work on your strength and uh, you work on your weaknesses. And as we do that, then we grow more and more together to be able to accomplish the goal that God has for us to do. And so because of that, then you know what? We should have a lot of grace and patience with each other. We really should. Just because someone's not at your level at something doesn't mean you should be all haughty and, eh, why aren't you there? No, I'm going to have grace and patience and I'm going to try to help coach you to get to that point where, man, all of a sudden you can stand on your own two feet, right? I mean, we don't get mad at babies. Hey, you're not walking fast enough. Come on. You know what? You just came out two days ago. You should be walking, right? I mean, that's just practical, but sometimes I think in, in the body of Christ, sometimes we, we, we think, well, man, you've been a, a believer for a month. You should have it together. Well, sometimes that's not the case. But see, then it takes those that have been doing it a lot longer to come alongside again collectively together and help build them up, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through uh, 22 says this. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the holy ones and all the rights as family members of the household of God. You have all these rights. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple and your lives have been built up together upon the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming or building each one of us or each one of you, I'm going to say together, into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So if we stay properly aligned with God, he, is, he, he will then begin to, to develop and build us individually and together like day by day for this dwelling place for God to come. 
Because the, the, the church is supposed to be a living building, a living organism that centers around Christ and the Holy Spirit is a partner with us that then we are supposed to collectively go out and witness. So we have to understand that every single one of us, no matter where we fall in, in this puzzle or fall in this picture, that each one of us is a, a work in progress. So never discount yourself. You are a work in progress. This ongoing, keep yourself in this ongoing construction um, project status. Keep, keep that being developed. And one of the things I loved with, uh, um, I love Ruth Graham's gravestone. It says, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Right? You would think, oh my gosh, she's like an all the Trinity or whatever, you know, up there on Mount Rushmore, along with Billy. But she said, hey, you know what? Thank you for your patience. I didn't get it right all the time. And sometimes that, that's what happens in our lives. We don't get it right all the time. Which then just leads us to our la- la- last, last one. Um, the, and I kind of combined these together. The church is invincible and transformational. In order for us to be a collective, effective collective witness, the church is invincible and transformational, meaning it is incapable of being overcome or defeated in any way. The church. Who is the church? Not the building, the people, right? Matthew 16, 18 and 19 says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, in other words, as long as the ecclesia, right, will continue to stand on this huge, immovable, solid as a mountain kind of truth, right, that revelation of who Jesus is, and, and we remain focused on the eternal assignment of winning and making disciples, there is not even hell's most elite forces. His elite army will be able to stop us. Be able to see. We get so much fear thinking, oh my gosh, what? I don't want to press the button. I don't want you, whatever. But man, the thing is, is that, you know what? You've got the kingdom of God backing you, Right? He, 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 he's going to back you every step of the way. But see, they're not going to stop us, and we're going to be able to advance the kingdom because of the authority that's been given to you and I as believers. Right? So that just means as witnesses, like collectively and, and, and individually, we have the authority to, to, to defy the enemy. We have the authority to defy the enemy, to reach out to the world, right? So that we can win the lost, we can make disciples, which then brings transformation to all who belong in Christ. I mean, Jesus' intention was, was and always will be for his church to be a divine assembly, 
right? Based on the revealed truth of Jesus as the Christ that really kind of rallies around this, this, this directive of the Great Commission. And, and we are to be a church that stands, a people that stands resilient against any and all challenges that come against us, right? In helping others to experience the transformational power of a living Savior. See, sometimes we don't see ourselves big enough. And our eyes were, well, man, my faith is so small or my faith is so weak. But see, God wants to change that narrative in you. But see, that narrative changes only when we get revelation from him. Not just revelation from Pastor Scott. Oh, that's what that means? No. But when you are alone with him and you are spending time with him and you are allowing him to speak, He gives you the revelation for you to recognize, I am not small. I'm actually pretty big in the kingdom of God. Not in a a bad way, but in the fact that, you know what? I have authority that Jesus gave me. And anytime the, the enemy comes, anytime the gates of hell try to prevail against the church, against me, it won't. Because of his promise, his goodness. And because I had this revelation of who Christ is in my life. So that's why it's so important, right? That we learn to follow and we learn to fish. Because when the church has a revelation and is on a mission, the church should be the most powerful and persuasive environment on the planet. It really should. Referencing back to what I said, so many people have been hurt by the church. Churches are made up of people, right? People ain't perfect. Ain't's not a word, I know, but you know what I mean. But the the situation is, is that's what the enemy loves to do. Because really this picture should be where people look at the church and go, my gosh, how, how amazing does your church look like? Because, man, you, you as people are loving each other. You as people are stepping in and helping each other. You as people, man, are, are, are even maybe bringing meals and just, man, there's no judgment. There's no, you know, just, just this, this essence of God's presence, right? Where people see that this is, that the church is the place where the life is Christ, what the life of Christ is supposed to look like. then there's just just openness to the spirit so that we can thrive as a community in this kind of divine partnership. And so as I close this morning, I'd love for you to just bow your heads for a second. I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. (laughs) I don't know if I ever do that, but I think we just just need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would want to want to say to us. Again, I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit speaks your language, how you understand it. And so, Holy Spirit, as we close our service today, as we close
close maybe even this series today. Holy Spirit, begin to speak to us about maybe some things we've heard today or in the past that would help us to grow in confidence to be fishers of men to be people who actually maybe go beyond our comfort zone and are stretched a little bit. However you decide you want to do it. We ask that you would fill our hearts with courage. We ask that you would fill our hearts with understanding. And then Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, in your still small voice, call to us to receive revelation of you by spending time with you, by going to a secret place, by carving that time to just spend time in your word, allowing you to speak to us, allowing the Holy Spirit to pour into us so that we can grow beyond just the revelation of we're saved, but we can grow to a revelation of who you've called us to be, what you have promised to us, what you have declared to us, what we can walk in as a a true believer of Christ. And so whatever that looks like for each one of us, Help us to recognize whatever walls we've put up and help us to tear down those walls. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and breathe new life into us that stirs us. Let revelation come. Pull back the curtains so that all of us, Lord, here, even those who might be listening through podcast at some point, that revelation comes of who Jesus is in our life. The victory that we have because of the victory he won. And I thank you for just doing that in us. Thank you for your sweet, sweet presence here. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.